For all of us listeners, this is a Los Angeles fight. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Entertaining the Idea, Season 3, Episode Number 3. This is the podcast where we discuss the creative process from the perspectives of both generating and consuming content. I am one half of your co-hosting team, John McStravick, better known as J-Mac, and I'm joined by my other co-host. Hey, it's Anthony Hudex. It's the Hudster. What's up, Hudster? How you doing? (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing well, J-Mac. I am doing well. You know, I was going through my notes from our previous two episodes, and I saw there I had like follow-up calling the Hudster. And I was like, ah, yeah, I forgot to do that the last episode. I was like, I got to put it in there. And I have it in bold right after the opening read. And I was ready to go with that one because it's too good to not. not And the weird thing is, I think you, you like wrote it down wrong because it's Hootster. Because it's Hoodax, so it's Hootster. And I was always called Hootster or Hootie or all that like hoo-hoo. And then I just call you the Hudster? (laughs) Yeah. But, like, the Hudster sounds kind of cool. It sounds like I should be in a pool hall somewhere. Be like, hey, I'm the Hudster. <laughs> and then, like, I like con people out of, like, tens of dollars. Well, it, it reminds me when I see the Hudster just written here. I, I obviously mispronounced it as I mispronounce names all the time. <laughs> in my other football podcast, don't, don't even get me started. It's now a thing of me just mispronouncing all kinds of football players' names. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I do what I can. I try to improve, but I, I never do. Uh, but it reminds me of the Hudsucker prox- Proxy. That's yeah. I, say. I see the Hudster, and that's what I, I just think of that that name. Not that it has anything to do with the movie or its content. Just, I don't yeah. know. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. You. Well, uh, enough of uh, talking about movie names or nicknames or whatever. Um, let's just get into it. And uh, for the opening question... For this episode, I was curious, do you ever find yourself always itching to do something like almost anything like having downtime is is not a thing like bored time or anything like that? If you're just kind of sitting there, do you always feel like you should just be doing something, be it either something with a project, be it cleaning, be it trying to fix something that you just see because you're, you know, you're just trying to fill the time. Uh, And this is kind of even outside of just like doom scrolling on Twitter or something like that. I mean, actually, like always having that itch um and and can't be idle i'm actually the exact opposite of that i have no problem just like sitting down and like doing nothing like there I, i think my bigger thing is i end up with feeling like i'm not doing enough and that's a feeling that i dread all the time like there's so many things that i want to be doing but there's so many times that i'm like just sit down and watch something or like just veg out, you know, and and that may be a better way to frame it is that that worry, that urge that you should be doing more because you have that, you know, internal list of all these things that you want to do. And then you're not doing anything. You feel like it. If you're say you're just watching a movie or something, but then you're like, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. Like I have that all the time. And I think, I have this feeling all the time where I'm just like, I want to be doing something like I can't ever just sit still or just sort of be in the moment. I always feel like if I have some sort of free time, I could be doing some small task that then will free me up later to do focus on some other bigger task that I want to be doing. So I always feel like I should be ticking off little things, big things, whatever it could be. And it is hard because I think we get to the age of like, 
mind hacking our way or like life hacking our way into like, oh, if you can do this and this and this, and then you'll have like this like free time to do whatever. And I find myself victim to a lot of times doing two things at once. Like I'll like be listening to a book on tape while cleaning the house or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll just be like listening to podcasts while I'm doing anything else. And it's just, it's just constantly consuming like information. And then every once in a while I'll get it in my head and I'll just stop doing that and I'll do whatever I do. Like I'll go for a run and not bring my headphones. And then that's interesting. And I I've done that accidentally. Like my headphones aren't working, aren't charged or something. And I have learned to just, just, just go, don't worry about, you know, trying to fix it or wait because just, just go and, you know, enjoy the nature sounds around you. But what I've, what I noticed with stuff like that is the first five to 10 minutes are hellish. Cause you're like, Oh fuck. I'm just like running in my own, <laughs> my own thoughts. Yeah. But then like, I do always remember, like, I like my brain. I like my thoughts. I like the weird places that I live when I just start going along. And one of the things that I used to do, um, there's a hike around us uh, called Wildwood Canyon. And it's a it's a two mile hike, pretty much straight up a mountain. Mm-hmm. And I remember what I used to do is I wouldn't take anything with me other than like a notepad. And I would walk up that thing and then guaranteed I would have two or three bits by the time I was on the other side of that mountain, by the time I came back down. Because like you're stuck by being yourself and you have that rhythm of walking that da dun da dun da dun da dun And it really did put me in this meditative place where I was like, oh, you know, by the way, I, you know, never really dug down on the fact that, like, birds are annoying or whatever it would be, you know? <laughs> yeah. So... You know, and that that's really good. And that's something I'm always trying to work on and get better at is is being a little more in the moment. I, I've been practicing my meditating and stuff. And like one of the things I've done over the past year, year and a half is I in the morning when I go and take my dog out, I don't bring my headphones. So typically, oh, cool. uh, like you said, I'm always listening to podcasts whenever I'm kind of doing some other task that's kind of mindless and you know, washing the dishes, cleaning the apartment, those kind of things. Yep. We're going yep. out, you know, used to, to taking the dog for a walk. But then I realized like in the morning, I, I stopped doing that where I would just go for the walk. I allow just the natural sound of the environment around me to, to kind of be my soundtrack for the walk instead of always having something going on mentally in the background where, so it allows you to kind of just relax a little bit. I got plenty of the rest of the, of the day to have things stimulating me and really kind of taking my attention away where I've learned to just let that be. And I'm trying to work that into other parts of my life. Same thing. Like you said, we kind of like life hack everything. And I, I also wonder, is it like, is this just the nature of kind of getting older where you always have more, like I'm a little more motivated to get things done and actually do all these projects where I was younger, you know, the early twenties and stuff like that, where it was 
all about hanging out or you just would kind of be lazy or you wouldn't have the motivation to kind of really push as hard as you kind of want to now because you're in a different life situation that kind of calls for it. And also like you really do want to get these things going and moving and you know, is, is it that, or is it maybe just the time we live in now where we're so transfixed of always kind of being busy? Yeah. I think that is kind of like one of those things that it is, it's hard to just stop for a minute. Like you really do. And maybe that's an LA culture thing because if you're not, if you can't rattle off the like top five projects that you're doing to someone else at a party, like, are you even like doing stuff, brah? <laughs> like it's, it's, it's really a thing sometimes when you, well, especially when you live out here. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it, it's something that I think keep working on. I, I try to be conscious about it too, because I, I think it's like one of those, double-edged swords where it's good to kind of always want to hustle and be motivated and always be pushing yourself. But on the flip side, you also have to kind of take a step back, enjoy your, be present, enjoy what's going on right now. And like for me, even sometimes I, I struggle to even just watch movies or TV because I feel like I could actually be doing something more active rather than passive. But I've also learned to allow myself, like I am still actually doing something active because I'm taking in content, some creativity and either seeing a new perspective or learning or teaching myself something from what I'm watching. So it isn't just sitting there on the couch, not doing anything. I almost always have an intention for what I'm watching. Like we talked about last week trying to choose what you're going to watch. I always have yeah. some sort of intention. Why do I want to watch this particular thing? I make a specific choice. Um, and then sometimes, sometimes I serendipitously just kind of pick on something, and allow it. But even then it allows me to take in something I wouldn't normally kind of, uh, you know, watch. And I think that's part of it's, it's weird because in our industry, it is kind of one of those things like you need to be abreast of everything that's happening. Like, I remember uh, I work mostly in reality television, so I had to watch a bunch of like 90 day fiancés and that isn't normally my genre of stuff to watch, but you have to like you, you, and I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. It's a very enjoyable show, but like you have to watch it just to be like, okay, this is where this genre is going. And even though it's not the thing that I would naturally gravitate towards, I, I got to watch it because I got to see what everything is happening. And I think that sort of happens with us is you never want to be in a meeting or in an interaction with somebody and they're like, Oh, Hey, have you seen insert the cool new thing that's happening right now? Like, and not be like, Oh yeah, I've seen it. And be be able to discuss it. You know what I mean? Like right now for us, it's mayor of East town. Uh You know, just because that is like the hot new, you know, procedural on HBO. And it's like, you got to be able to discuss it and just say like, oh, yeah, that's what's going. And there's a new one that just came out um, now. I think it's like Futurist or something that's on HBO that like going to have to end up watching. Yeah, I I remember that when I was in development for a reality production company, it was the same thing where I had to watch more that was even more specific. Like I just pretty much would have it on sorted in the background because 
like you same thing. I wasn't necessarily my genres, but I at least had to watch and get a general idea of what was going on and see what the hype is about. So, Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. So it, you know, at least now I'm not as into that. So I get to kind of choose based off of just like the shows I want to watch, but I still am very specific about watching it and have a reason to kind of check it out. And we'll get into that actually with yeah what we're watching. So, you know, I, I, I just asked that question because I, you know, and sometimes that causes a strain too, like with like friends and family, because I'm always so wanting to always be active and doing something that it's, I have to be kind of told, you know, pulled back a bit and say, just relax, enjoy the moment. And, uh, I, I just, I've, I've been getting that recently and I've just been trying to work on that. So I was curious if you kind of had the same thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually literally the opposite. I actually need to motivate myself more to do stuff. I, here's my problem. I, I'm going to attribute this to Thich Nhat Han, who like is a Buddhist teacher, and I'm. It may be apocryphal, and I don't know if he actually was the one that said it. But there's a quote that I try and live by that it's like, if you can be present for every moment of a day, you live a lifetime in 24 hours. And I, I have always kind of like strived to do that because that is the thing that I think is kind of amazing because I've had those moments before where you, where I've been like completely wrapped in something where like all your attention is focused on something for a long period of time. And it's like, you do live a lifetime. There's like all these mini dramas inside of what you're doing. Like when you're trying to, I'll speak specifically for me for editing. So like I'll be editing something and there'll be things that are easy to do, like fix this, fix that, whatever. But then you'll run into a problem that like needs a little more finesse and needs all your brain power. And then it becomes this like drama of like, how do I coax this? How do I make it work? And then you get frustrated with yourself and like, like sometimes like a little self-doubt creeps in. You're like, maybe I'm a bad editor and maybe I shouldn't even be doing this. Maybe my life is terrible and I should have just been a real estate agent or whatever. And then like you you come up with that solution to the problem and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm the greatest thing that ever existed. Let me start practicing my Oscar speeches. Like, let me just do this. And like, that's the type of thing where it's like you live a lifetime inside of every day. And I think that's where I've been like striving to get to. So, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And uh, I couldn't put it better myself. So that is what I will always remember now when I'm trying to live in the moment is your lifetime you lived editing a small segment on your show. So (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That was a fantastic metaphor, Tony. So well done. Well done. Uh, I I give all it's it's I thought it was thick not Han that said that. and he's he's the one that I read the most of on in being Buddhist ish. I'll, I'll say I'm Buddhist ish. Ish ish. Always with ish. ish. All right. Well, that well said. And words to live by. So, all right. Well, then let's move on into what we are watching. Then talking about living in the moment and staying focused. Uh, what have you watched uh, since we last spoke? Okay. So I finished the Americans. For anybody who hasn't watch that one wonderful last two episodes 
Like, the last season is not great. It, it feels like it's treading water to just get to the last two episodes. Last two episodes were really good. I, I appreciated how it ended. I appreciated where everybody ended in their life. So that was good. But the new thing I've been watching is I started Bloodlines. Or Bloodline, rather. Sorry. So far, I've only gone through um, episode 10 of the first season. It is really good. Is it? Is this uh, the Netflix show with like Kyle Chandler? Yes. And uh, the the person that drew me to the show was, first of all, there's Linda Cardellini, which mm-hmm. I've always had a crush on Linda Cardellini. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tend to watch the stuff that she does. But also there's Ben Mendelsohn, who most people would probably know from Animal Kingdom, the Australian film. But then also he did the HBO series The Outsiders, or The Outsider. But in Bloodline, he plays this character, Danny, and he is such a phenomenal actor. Like, I do want to say, I think people will know Ben Mendelsohn more than just those, because wasn't he also in Star Wars, and uh, wasn't he in Captain Marvel? Wasn't he the one of the, the alien guys? Was he? Oh, I don't... Ben Mendelsohn's in I, a lot. He's that character actor that... I know he's in a lot. He's really good. I Here's the weird thing. I think maybe people might not know who they know who he is, but they know who he is. Like, Ben Mendelsohn is in everything. I See, I didn't realize that. I He's in the new Star Wars. He was in, like, the second and third uh, installment of the new series. Oh, get out of here. Okay. Here's the thing. I watched, like, a year ago, watched a film called Mississippi Gold with Ben Mendelsohn and Ryan Reynolds. Mm -hmm. One of the things I love about Ryan Reynolds is he does these, like, weird indie films that are good. And it's just him and Ben Mendelsohn for roughly the entire movie. There's a couple, like, other characters that come in, but it's just those two guys. And... He was phenomenal, and that's when I like actually noticed him as a like actor, right? And then like looked him up, and then I watched uh, Animal Kingdom and everything like that. I didn't even clock him in the Star Wars universe. Are you looking him up? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking him up right okay. now. Yeah, so he was in Captain Marvel, uh, and then he's who is also, he in Captain Marvel? He was Talos. He was one of the uh, aliens that. He was chasing oh, okay. Captain Marvel, and then he sure. actually ends up teaming up with Nick Fury, Sam Jackson's character, because then he was, I guess, had a small credit in Spider-Man Far From Home. Okay. Where else was he in? He was in, oh, he was in Rogue One. That's that's the one he was, the Star Wars movie he was in. Yes, that's right. I, now I remember. Where was he in Rogue One? He's kind of the bad guy in Rogue One. Yeah. I, I do have to say I don't remember Rogue One very well. I, I like I watched it because it was a thing that you needed to watch because but I I I'm not a Star Wars nerd. So like and I have to say it quietly, so just you and I know that and not the rest of our audience. But like some of that stuff just goes in one ear and out the other for me. I enjoy it. I'm not a, a super fanboy of Star Wars, but I enjoy the the general 
epicness yeah. uh, cinematic oh, sure. of the whole the whole thing. So anyway, and I like right. the Mandalorian. So. Well, Ben Mendelsohn, he is in a Star Wars movie. He's in Rogue One, but in amongst okay. many many other things, I recently saw him in um, Lost River. Recently, I guess sometime last year, uh, which was the uh, Ryan Gosling uh, yeah. debut directing. Uh, which is a really weird movie. I don't. It's one of those movies. I don't know if it's actually good or not. It's so weird, but he's in it and he's good in it. So, I mean, I I feel like sometimes when actors turn directors, they just they they can pick other really good actors to do things, but like sometimes the stories aren't as great. Well, he obviously is like really close with uh, Nicholas Wen Refing as well and took a lot of influence and inspiration from his type of movies into okay. Lost River. And well, you saw it, you said, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I remember watching it. I yeah. Don't, it's just very it's not, strange. I will say it's not a memorable film for me. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I apologize, Ryan Gosling. Everybody, I, everybody takes a big swing, and I appreciate that. I just, I remember watching it because it was him. But yeah, so I, I don't yeah. know. See, I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm like, I don't know. I was like, it's really weird. It's strange. I can't put it, it all together. But so, is it that it's just not good, or is it just one of those movies that's like really good but really esoteric that you have to really watch it again to kind of understand the layers and the what it's what it's kind of trying to tell you. I I know uh, we've been through this before and we'll probably be over again. I know maybe like, maybe uh, I do uh, have to esoteric watch movies and like their value and should a movie be anyway. We're, you know we're getting on a wide, gonna, we're going gonna, on a wide gonna, tangent gonna, here. We got we got to get back. I'm gonna to, name this. I'm gonna name this right now. I'm gonna watch it. It's gonna be my what I watched last night or what I watched last time, and I'm gonna we're gonna talk Lost River. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this. And that's going to be my thing. And I'm going to revisit it and see if I remember it anymore. Or if I come back and be like, what did you watch this week? And I'll be like, nothing. I don't know. Oh, shit. I, I watched Lush River. I watched it, but I forgot about it all. <laughs> all right. So, sorry. We, we went on a big tangent there. I know. We're out of it. Just got us down a rabbit hole. So, anyway, back to So, good. Show. What did you watch? Uh, oh, Bloodline. We're I mean, still talking about Bloodline here. I oh, okay. I know. Bloodlines is great. It, it, so what is it? I keep calling it bloodlines. Okay, general premise of bloodline is that there's this family in the Keys of Florida, and it's it's just their family drama. It revolves around their hotel business. I'm trying to say this without giving too much away. Do they get caught up in some bad stuff, like like mob stuff or something? There's is it that kind of show? So. The the first episode starts with essentially the guy from Friday Night Lights being worried that Ben Mendelsohn is coming into town because it's his brother. He's like, okay. every time my brother comes into town, stuff goes to shit. And like, that's pretty much like the thing. And then everybody has their own little dramas that play out. It's a very family drama thing. Um, Interesting. Like, if you like This Is Us, it would be kind of a thing. It's like a more violent This Is Us, you know? Okay, I thought that's that's not a bad like way a, I, I feel violent. like that is not the pitch they gave at the time, but... So, like that, I, is, that, it, is this like a precursor to the Ozarks? The show Ozarks with Jason Bateman? You know what I mean? Is it in that yes, vibe? But it's or not no? a family. but it's not a family on the run. It's a family that's well-established, but you kind of... 
delve into like how messed up the family is. So like, so is there is there a little more melodrama to it than? Oh, uh, there's a lot of melodrama. It, okay. it basically like you start with like this base level of like this is a hoity-toity, not hoity-toity shit. It's not like hoity-toity and like they're super rich. It's just this is a family with a lot of influence in the keys, right? And slowly you realize that each of these members of the family have problems. Okay, and. And they play out as the brother and comes out. in, and it's, it's like a tornado. It's a family brings, drama. Yeah. He brings a bunch of bad stuff with him, and it yeah. probably he's inter- he's the one that shakes it all up. All right. Well, we like when things get shaken up. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. I remember that show being on, like, and that was a, a show I know. It was almost like Netflix sometimes has these shows that are well regarded but aren't super popular, but they stay around for a couple seasons, and you kind of hear small stuff that it's a good show. But it's nothing I've ever checked out. But I like that you've said that it's good, so maybe I will take a look. And I think it's one of those things where the first season is very well regarded. And then I hear it goes off the rails for like the second and third season. So I don't know what to expect. Okay. But they've already teased in the pilot that like some main characters die. So I... I don't know how they're going to like fulfill that promise. If that gets fulfilled in the first season or if it gets fulfilled in like the third season, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, that happens with some shows. Again, we, I think we've talked about this where like the nugget yeah. of the idea is really good, but it only really goes for about a season. But of course, if you get a show order, you're and it's somewhat well regarded, you're going to get more seasons and then it starts to get pulled a little thin and, and it happens. Yeah. And sometimes you just got to enjoy the first season for what it was. And then you realize that it kind of jumps the shark in later seasons. And you just either kind of cut bait depending on how much you got you're (laughs) into it and how long it still goes, or you ride it out and you know, you take it for what it is. I almost feel sort of like the Americans was a little bit like that where it got thin in the later seasons. Oh, it it definitely did. You know, I think they probably had that ending kind of lined up, but to get there and they kept getting series orders and you know um i wasn't a fan of this the ending um i wish it ended a different way but oh i i mean i thought the last season was terrible i thought the last two episodes were good i felt like the last two episodes should have been the start of the last season like that should have been the thing yeah, I, I'm trying to think back and now I remember because there was a lot of just stuff not happening happening where it was just right. kind of like, oh, okay, so they're kind of on different paths here. And then he's just kind of like there until like yes. later on, then actually yes. he has to like get exactly. active again. And then you're like, okay, cool. But anyway, I, I wasn't a fan of, we don't do spoilers now, but just I wasn't a fan of the final wrap up. I, I yeah. wish it went a different way. I kind of talked and alluded to it of my, uh, semi, uh, you know, favor of the American way. Uh, <laughs> and then not, but anyway, I'll leave it at that anyway. Okay. So okay, fair enough. What are you watching? Uh, I am watching something. I think you recommended to me this, uh, a while ago and I finally got around to it. Cause I, I told you I, in our discussion last time about choosing, something to watch and this has been on my list uh i started watching the boys on amazon ah, it's a good one what do yeah. you think about it 
I, I, I like not it. to so, give you my opinion at first. Yeah, but. I uh, well, you told me about it, and it was on my radar before that. But then once you kind of recommended, it, I was like, all right, let me put it on the list, and I I like it. It's I'm only I just finished season one, so there's two seasons out, and I believe what I might have heard is season three is probably coming out pretty soon. Um, yeah. But you know what, I I liked it. It's honestly not quite in the the tone and vibe that I thought the direction that it was going to be, but I still thoroughly enjoyed it. I originally, so the boys is basically, uh, it's on Amazon prime. It's this show about a world in which superheroes are a common thing. And, but there's actually a whole bunch of them and they are pretty much corporatized where they are part of corporate America. There's this company that pretty much runs the business of being a superhero where they're kind of the Disney of superheroes where these superheroes do their thing of doing good and saving people and all this and that. But then they also have contracts with this corporation that has them in movies and they do speaking events and they have theme parks and all this other tie in stuff for the business. And I, I guess they get paid and stuff and whatever. And they, you know, they monetize their celebrity of being a superhero. The, the kind of twist on it a bit though, is that not all of them are good people, the superheroes, and there's a lot of ulterior motives going on. And then there's a subset of this group of people who've been kind of wronged by these superheroes and want to get revenge and justice against them for some of these bad things that they've done kind of uh, that has been covered up. So that's basic gist of the kind of show is this these this group of the boys trying to kind of get justice against uh, some of the bad stuff the superheroes have done. Right. And then the superheroes are basically the ones who are part of this Disney corporation are like the tippity top of the superheroes. So there are other people with abilities, but to get into this like Disney level tippity top. They call it the circle seven, I think is what it's called. Yeah. And there, you need to do some stuff to like get in there and really be part of it. And that's the corporatization of it is. And that's what one of the characters, yeah, one of the characters is auditioning for to get into it and she does. And then it's kind of, you get a little peek behind the curtain kind of thing. And so she's so good. Was there, is that um, Aaron Moriarty? Yes, she she is, is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, she's so good. Yeah, like that. I that was one of the things watching. It was like that is spot on casting for the type of balance of the character that they're trying to play. This you know, good midtown, uh, Midwest type of girl going to the big city, but but then also isn't super naive and it's, but yeah, you know, it, it like was, she picks it, up on this. She's smart, mm-hmm. but she's naive, you know, like you just haven't been exposed to it yet. Right. And then, but once yeah, she gets she exposed, really she, well. sharp, she gets sharp real fast as far as understanding how the world works. And that's fascinating. Um, I, I, all the relationships are great and I think they do a really good job. I, uh, Carl Urban is fantastic. Carl Urban is so good in that. Yeah. It's his, his super breakout role. Like I'm just so glad he finally gets like a real big kind of sort of near the lead in dread and like nobody even like paid attention. I watched dread. I watched his dread. I watched. Sure. But like, 
I remember he's I haven't so actually seen it, but I heard his breakout role was actually in Doom. Actually, my favorite role that he's ever done though was uh the assassin in Jason Bourne, the uh oh, yeah. Bourne Supremacy, the second one, the best Bourne one. The their car chase at the end to me is the ultimate car chase of all car chases in movies. Oh, can we do that as an episode? Best yes. car chases? Because I want to throw Ronan in there and every Fast and the Furious I, car chase ever. Yes, we will definitely have that. <laughs> I, all right, great. Follow up. We will do a car chase episode. It's on the books. Uh, great. I love uh, figuring out new, new uh, uh, topics new to cover later. live on later the fly. Car chases. Okay. Anyway, back to the boys. But yeah, um, Carl Urban is amazing. Yeah, in, in this he he really does like kind of like break onto the scene in a way that you don't realize he's been on the scene for you know 10 11 12 years now oh it's a little longer than that even in, really yeah i that's what i'm saying i mean the born supremacy came out probably around 2006 Oh, so sure. I've known him since then. Um, either way, he hasn't had, I haven't seen him in a role like this though, where he's kind of the lead almost. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a bit of an ensemble, but he is the lead of the ensemble more or less. And he's just so good. I, the writing is really well, sharp and witty, but he, then, and that plays into him as an actor and he really knows how to really just grab onto all the writing and really just run with it. Yeah, it, it feels like it's Carl Urban and then Anthony Starr as, um, God, what's this? Homelander. And then uh, Jack Quaid and then Aaron Moriarty. Like, that seems to be, like, the main contingent. And then everybody else flows around that contingent. Yeah, I'd um, agree that. The the Homelander character is interesting, and I don't know if it's the way they write him, if it's the actor, how he's portraying him. I, I found it interesting. I I couldn't quite understand it but i honestly though but towards the end of the the season though he got i got better like i got more understanding of him and i think maybe that was part of the what they're yeah. going for is kind of keeping his background in the dark a bit and then you see him come out more and more um i just thought some of the character choices were interesting for what that actor did but um yeah i i'm i, I still enjoyed it though uh it so what I was saying though earlier though about what I expected and what it ended up being was I originally thought it was more of a sort of um, sort of dark comedy in the but a lighter dark comedy in the sense where it was just these guys are all kind of goofy and not quite up to par of like what your typical superhero Iron Man Captain America you know Batman's kind of uh, idea of what a superhero is and I thought maybe they were a little goofy or just like off the beaten path kind of thing where this is actually a lot darker overall yeah, the whole is. show is and a little more serious yeah. than I expected and like I said there's there's wit and charm as far as parts of the characters like Butcher the Carl Urban character like he's funny because of his character the way he just is as a person like, you know, calling people and this and that and, you know, just all his witty things. But uh, not that calling people is witty, but, you know, his 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 interpretation right. no, of it no, is it's funny. He, it's funny. They even call it he, out, though, in it. That, that's that's part of the best part. Some of the stuff, they hang a lantern on it and they they address some of the things and it makes the show all that much better because they, they kind of know what they're doing, but they call it out within the show. And then it, it kind of relieves the tension of you know, any of that kind of stuff. So I, I enjoy that stuff and it wasn't meta. It's just 
like I said, hanging a lantern on it, yeah. calling it out, that kind of thing. So, but yeah, anyway, it's a lot darker and a lot more dramatic than I was expecting it to be. And also everything that happens and progresses, uh, there is a lot where I'm like, what the heck is going to happen next? Like, I really don't know. Uh, and so I, I, that's part of why I still really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. Um, you know, can't wait for season three. Woot, woot. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting season two. And that was one of the interesting things, too. I just finished season one the other day and how it's pretty much a huge cliffhanger. Like there's no, oh, let's wrap up a lot of stuff. Like they answered some questions, but then all instantly started opening up new roads that they're going to take. And uh, it really, really is interesting. And some gut-wrenching stuff. You're like, oh, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. there gets, is there's a particular season scene in the last uh, in the season finale where there's a couple characters coming together in a kind of like, you know, big bad kind of way. And you're like, I don't know how this is going to happen. And one of the things I was thinking about when I was watching, I was curious uh, if this happens to you and it kind of relates to what we were just kind of discussing about watching stuff with intention. I'm watching it and it's a scene where, you know, one good guy is going up a bad guy and he, you think the good guy has a plan and the bad guy kind of throws it on its head. And I'm always wondering how are the writers getting out of this scenario? Because you see it going bad for the good guy, but you're like, usually a lot of times they'll end up figuring something out to get them out of it, you know? And do you worry about that? Do you have that kind of stress of like, how are they going to write themselves out of this scene? Or are you more wrapped up in the scene and actually just like, curious of what's happening or something like that do you do does that question make sense to you yeah yeah no i, I hear what you're saying yeah, yeah, yeah are you seeing it more from like a writer's perspective or more from a audience perspective um i think the tension i kind of feel is there's generally a moment when i'm watching something where i've i've seen like you're watching somebody and you're like hmm I'm I'm feeling like they wrote themselves into a corner. Yes. How are they going to get them out in a way that's satisfying? Satisfying, and I, it 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 gives me that little bit of worry that I'm like, uh, like you if, fucked is yourself. Is this going to be like shitty? You, is this going to? Are they going to do something really dumb where they're like some supernatural like, thing? Comes yeah. In or like you know the Deus es Machina, like just yeah. like comes down and like blows everybody up or whatever. Um. Yeah, occasionally when I'm watching that, um, that'll happen. I try and, again, just sort of like live in the thing of being like, okay, well, they're going to tell the story however it's told, and that has to be the story. Yeah. You know, so if they decide to like turn it on its head, eh, like I remember what you're talking about, and um, I, I really do like worry when you get into that position that they're going to do it badly. I just watched like literally before we started recording, I just watched without remorse mm -hmm. that, uh, the Anthony B. Jordan, uh, Oh, the Tom Clancy, uh, Tom Clancy one. novel yeah. or whatever. And there is a scene in that where not to be a super spoiler or anything like that. Spoiler alert. <laughs> The main character is in a situation where he needs to do some hell of gunfighting mm -hmm. to get his way out of it. And I'm like, I don't understand how this is going to happen. Right. And then it does. And you're like, you feel one way or another about how they got them out of it. And it's like, 
I know a, a lot of times you just chalk it up and then you just swallow it and you're like, okay, fine. Like, but yeah, I agree. It's, yeah. I, I didn't mind the way they did it in the boys in without remorse. I was very much like, ugh, okay. Yeah. You needed to get them out of there. So I, I get the tension that you're feeling, but like, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to just like kind of like let it be. Well, it's just because it's to me, it's like that's the writer in me where I'm always analyzing kind of what's going on in a show, especially when you get into a scene like that, because once the stakes get raised so much, then I'm, I just, that's what happens to me. I'm just like, how are they going to write them out of this? Like you're, and it's exactly what you were saying about it's either going to be really clever of something that I can't think of. And which is why these people are super smart and have it are showrunners or it's going to be just fall flat because you're just going to do some kind of generic way of wishing it away. And then you're going to be dissatisfied. So that's, and I agree totally. It is, it does raise the stakes, but it also raises the chance of dissatisfaction in a certain scene. So I was fine with it in the end because, but especially because of the payoff that they did right after you find out how they, they got out of that scene, the payoff right after that. Then I was like, okay, now there's more going on. They have a plan. Like yeah. that's why that one was specifically fine because it's a little bit of that, uh, intervention, but it still fits all within the story and the, the rules of the world that they're in that it was like, okay, that's fine. And there was a reason though behind it as well. So then I was yeah. like, okay, then I can, uh, I, then I'm good. I'm good. So anyway, it was just one of a side kind of bar. I was curious because it, it was happening to me as I was watching that. And I realized I do do that, but I also try hard to this, like, all right, don't worry about it. Just watch it and see how it unfolds yeah. and enjoy it as it is. Like we were talking about trying to be in the present of the show. Like yeah. always have that, that dichotomy of when you're kind of, when you're a writer of always analyzing a show. So anyway, I think it's really great. I'm excited to watch season two. It's, it's not as weird as I thought it was going to be or kind of off the beaten path as far as in that just kind of weird comedic sense, kind of like the Doom Patrol was. I thought maybe it'd be no, more in that it, like odd sense. It's, yeah. It has some weird parts to it with the Homelander and the boss lady and stuff like that. Like that is 100%. weird. But it's it's a different type of weird than I was expecting. But again, in a whole, and it still was a great uh, season and I'm really excited to see what's going to happen next. And I think it's really just a, a really good, fun uh, kind of divergent path of doing a superhero uh, story. Yeah. It's definitely nowhere near as weird as doom patrol. Like doom patrol is on a different level yes. than what uh, the boys is doing. And I, I just think the boys like is right on for what they're trying to do. Absolutely. And um, spoiler alert season two, Two isn't as great, but you know, it, it gets better. Okay. And that's fine. I mean, like it it was good again. This isn't a show that I'm like ranting and raving about that. I'm like super hooked on and, and super passionate about, but I still think it was a really, really well done show. And it still was good, even though it was a bit off to the side of what my original expectations were of the tone and, uh, vibe. So, uh, well done. And next up after this, I'm going to check out the umbrella Academy. I'm, I'm kind of going through my weirdo superhero shows. So this is, that's why I just, one of the reasons I decided to check this one out first and then I'll move on. So, all right. So I'm interested to, to hear your feelings on the umbrella Academy. Great. All right. Well, I'll let you know once I get into that and we'll, we'll bring it up on the show as well. So, 
Yeah. All right, Tony. Uh, that's what we were watching. Uh, so I was watching the boys and you were watching bloodline bloodline. All right. On Netflix. So, all right, let's move on to current events. We only got one topic and with this came out actually a little bit ago, but I was curious about your take. Uh, so it came out that it looks like there's an estimated rumor of Amazon spending $425 million on one season of their Lord of the Rings television series, which is a damn right. <laughs> that is a number worthy of the one true ring, I suppose. And I, I it's like, I saw that number. I was like, I, I don't even, I just don't even know what to say about this. Although I do have a lot to say about it, but I, it's just an astronomical number. Now, where I'll just a little bit of background. Where this number comes from is they're shooting the show in New Zealand, as they did with the film series. And I think uh, the film commissioner or somebody in the government uh, was talking about Amazon shooting the show here and how much it was going to cost. They were paying for the show because and the boost to the economy it was giving New Zealand was the whole purpose of this uh this person bringing up the number. Uh, they brought up a New Zealand dollars and it was uh, converted. So it's around 425 US dollars. Um, right. So it that's where it comes from. So this isn't definitive. This doesn't mean that this is exact number. This no, is no, a, no. a bureaucrat or politician kind of. I've heard it's as high as 465. I, like it, 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 it varies at yeah, the moment. For sure. But it's it's probably somewhere in the ballpark of this and it's, it's still an astronomical number to pay for one season of a television series. And just for a little bit of context, I, from what I was reading, the game of Thrones series, by the end of their run, they were averaging around a hundred million or yeah, $100 million a season. So, right. And that you think about the scale of what game of Thrones was going in the season six and seven, and that's a hundred million dollars. I don't know where you put $425 million for a season of television. I just, it's my assumption is it's going to be heavy VFX. Like, yeah. Right. Like you're going to have hobbits and they're going to have to be interacting with other characters of like different heights. So you're going to have to be automatically doing a lot of VFX work. And then I honestly don't know. I like, I'm very interested to see it. It's man. Does that put a target on your back? Like, if you don't deliver on a great season, then like, I don't know if you remember like the hype around Titanic, the movie Mm -hmm. when it was starting, like the fact that it was a hundred million dollar movie and like the most expensive movie at the time there, James Cameron like donated like half or most of his salary just so they keep, they would let him finish the movie so that he he could get it out there. And he obviously got points on the back end, but like, that's how much it cost that they almost pulled the plug on it. (laughs) And it was just like, how can you ever do this? And, you know, this is four times. This is more than four times that. You know, and that's I thought the same exact thing uh, when I was going kind of through some of the numbers here is I felt like the pressure on the showrunners and the and the writing staff for this show to have that kind of dollar figure on 
season one of all of it. It's one thing if this was like, you know, your sixth season and, you know, you're wrapping it up and you, you're you leading up to this grand epic conclusion. Right, you have like, to pay everybody like $50 million an episode just to be in it. Yeah, exactly. You know, kind of like Game of Thrones was. I yeah. remember the story in season two for the, was it the Blackwater episode? Uh, it was the penultimate one in season two where they had to go ask for, I, I think it was like an extra million dollars to finish the episode the way they needed it to do. And they were super nervous about going into the HBO team, to uh, the showrunners, to ask them for that extra million. It, was, it might have been a million, might have been 10 million. Either way, sure, 10 million, 1 million, compared to 425, it's nothing. Compared to $100 million, it's nothing. So that's how much, though, you're talking about the span, even them asking for even if it was an extra 10 million for one episode, it's it's just kind of crazy. So the other thing too, on top of this, Amazon is spending a, a ton of money on this. They also spent $250 million just for the rights of the show from the Tolkien estate and Harper, the book publisher and uh, yeah. the New Line Cinema, who owned, I guess, the rights for the film series all got a piece of this. But $250 million for the rights just to make it. Then you're spending four hundred twenty-five dollars estimated on season one. And then it's only going to go up from there. I don't know how many seasons they're going to. Oh, that's the other thing. Season two's already been greenlit. Well, the crazy thing to me is the fact that not only are you spending all this money on it, you have to adhere to canon. Like You have to adhere to what's already been written by someone. Mm-hmm. So you can only enhance that to a very certain degree. Like you can't look at the problems that were that you could see in the book and be like, oh, I need to change this, I need to change that, or whatever. You really do have to like deliver to people what they want because they're not gonna like abide any sort of, you know, messing around with the canon. And that's on top of Essentially, New Line doing, you know, six, right? Six Lord of the Rings movies. You had the original four and then two Hobbits. Am I getting that right? Or am I am I misremembering? No, there was three original and then three Hobbits. They, three Hobbit, original, three Hobbits. Okay. Hobbit was originally supposed to be, I think, just one, but then they, I think, stretched Made it out it into, into a three. trilogy. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, you're right. And that's what I, the, another point I was just going to make is that original... Lord of the Rings trilogy is one of the most like iconic trilogies there ever was. Yeah. And that, it was part of the spawning of trilogies in the, the aughts. What, you know, that was the thing until we're now expanding out in the huge universes. Trilogies were the thing. And that was one of the main original film series that started this trilogy uh, trend. And, and it, and it was it was great. I mean, it ended up winning Best Oscars for its final one. Uh, the other yeah. two were just as fantastic, and it brought to screen like this epic cinematic storytelling style that is still emulated today. That was kind of never seen before on that scale. And I just don't know what do you do to enhance it. That's part of. And we talked about remakes before. What are you doing? How do you enhance a, a classic or an iconic movie already? Like, what what do you do? And I know this is going to a TV series, so you have a longer, a bigger canvas to kind of paint with. But how much more are you really adding in that you didn't already get out of the film is kind of what I'm curious about. Oh, I have no idea. Like, I honestly have no idea. You're spending half a billion dollars on a franchise. I 
I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to do like a word for word, like presentation of the book, like to make sure that you have everything that is laid out in the book on the thing? Are you going to be the definitive Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, whatever series after that? Like, you don't have to read the book anymore. You can watch this. They do everything. Like, I... I, I honestly don't know. That is such a crazy figure to do as a series. Yeah. And to me, the, one of the main reasons I brought this up is that I feel like, and I remember seeing this when the streaming wars were starting last year or even the year before when everybody was starting to gear up, Disney already announced, you know, HBO Max was announced before they actually even uh, went live. Apple was doing one. Um, you you started hearing them and even Amazon, they all wanted to get in this game because Game of Thrones was ending. So now all of a sudden there was these stories about all of them were looking for the next Game of Thrones, which I just think is a futile endeavor when you do something like that, where you try to replicate whatever was the last big, great zeitgeist uh, hit in you know common consciousness around America and the world. And then it's ending, uh, it's series, and then you try to then just replicate that, I think is always a big, big mistake because you're trying to do something that's already been done. What made Game of Thrones so special was that it was something new and fresh and never been done before and how they did it. And it was so interesting. And and also it gained steam. It wasn't like out of the gates, it was like this mega hit. It wasn't until after the first season that more people start tuning in because of word of mouth, because of how good the first season was. So that to me is part of that next hit is you can't necessarily just manufacture it by saying, all right, let's make another, you know, middle earth, middle age is type of show. And let's just spend all this money making an epic kind of uh, cinematic looking. And that'll be the next big hit because that's just not the way it works. Like it, you have to find an organic way to find something new and fresh and, and interesting to people that they haven't seen before. I, I think you're hundred percent right because I think this looking into like, oh, we have to do like a Middle Earth-ish or, you know, night's time thing. Medieval thing, yeah. Yeah, is not the way to go. To just be like, well, where do we look to have these? But I I don't think that it's completely wrong because you do want to look for, okay, America can handle these big epic tales. So what would you want to do next? Like one of my things that I think is a no-brainer for any studio, especially HBO, and if they haven't done it already, they need to do it. And I know it's like been optioned by people, but there's a whole Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson that is essentially about these like magic people living in like a Middle Earth-ish sort of realm, but it's different. But that's the type of thing that I'd be like, the Mistborn series would be a perfect like Game of Thrones follow-up because you would be able to do eight seasons of that. It's over four books and it's amazing. There's another one called Red Rising, which is about people who essentially like are living on different planets and like the people who live on Mars are the red people and the people who live on Earth are a different color and then you have the golds who are these almost like Olympian like like Olympian meaning like Greek god like people and you have these giant series that are wildly popular 
for people who read fantasy. And the only reason I know about them is because I mistakenly said to a friend of mine, I don't like fantasy novels. <laughs> and they were a huge fantasy fan. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You just haven't read the right ones. And um, my friend, Pat Kenny, turned me on to uh, the whole uh, Mistborn series. And it's literally one of the best trilogies of novels I've ever read. And that's something that should easily be able to be made into a giant series for HBO. And it has been bumped around in development, in turnaround, with so many different studios that nobody has found a way to do it is criminal. And it'll come out. And I, I guarantee you, within like four years, the Mistborn series will come out as a series and it will like be the next game of thrones but like nobody knows how to do it yet and that's a problem well i mean game of thrones was bumped around forever as well i mean there there originally that was supposed to be a trilogy movie and then the the two guys uh weiss and oh lindelof and and weiss uh boinoff and boinoff yeah they they ended up with the ones who who came up not I'm sure not the only ones but were the ones who pushed the idea of it making it a series rather than a film yeah. uh which obviously was worked out better in the long run I'm sure 100%. but I I'd almost even say though you don't even have to just go fantasy my point is is that just chasing this you know the chasing the tiger on this is not smart and just spending all this money I I think you I, HBO, I think then, you know, they're, they're almost, they were trying to do it too with the spinoffs of Game of Thrones. Just that's almost a literal trying to catch their magic in a bottle again. Uh, but at least HBO though, I saw some of the other shows they started coming out with after Game of Thrones. They had the Watchmen, they had, uh, Oh, Lovecraft country, Lovecraft yeah. country. And then they had, uh, well, Westworld actually the other one. I think Westworld is the one that they're trying to bank on now is like they're, cause they are just throwing gobs of myths. But they, but they do bring out a lot of different stories. Yeah, no, HBO does some really, really big swings. Yes, and not a lot of them will hit into the mainstream like a Game of Thrones or a Sopranos does. But when they keep at it and still do quality work like that, at some point, one of them does kind of break through. Uh, it's, I, it's just kind of waiting on that. And Westworld sort of has, it just hasn't gotten to the level of game of Thrones. And we've already talked about that before. I, you know, it, it has issues yeah. that I think um, are, are difficult for people to get into. But again, at least I think HBO still has the best strategy. I know Apple thought they could do it with that show. C. like, again, it was like their most expensive show. They started with out of the gate. It's that, everybody's blind in the future and then a baby's born you right. can see and then it's all these little tribal things fighting so it's like right again it's like just doing mosquito coast now as a whole thing and yeah which and that kind of stuff's fine like those are more normal average shows that are interesting if you're in that kind of stuff that seems more yeah. of like a bloodline ozarks type of show but again Ozarks becomes really popular for Netflix. So I think Netflix is doing a better job in the sense that they just, same thing though, they just do quantity over quality, but occasionally quality bursts through with like the crown or Ozarks and they, they have some stranger things, but I think they have less of a specific strategy where HBO still seems like they, they're expanding their, their amount of shows, but they still have a good strategy as far as their kind of 
hit big dramas that they put a lot of money into their big swings. Oh, a hundred percent. And I, I think they do a really nice job of doing like their Sunday night lineup of being mm-hmm. like, you know, the two or three shows that they're like really pushing and, and really making a difference. And then, um, having that been, be able to like continue on and, you know, really, you know, just different type of stuff. That's a good story. I think, I mean, I mean, HBO right now would be the model. If I was ever making a network, I would model myself after an HBO is just like, don't worry about sticking to a genre. Yep. Just put out the good story and, and people will, will gravitate to it because I think people want the good story. I thought the next strongest voice in that arena was actually FX. Agreed. Because I think they had the idea of like, we're going to put out stories about people who are very flawed and very terrible. And like, no matter who you start off in a series we are going to show you how terrible people are and how complex people are. And I think that overriding like ethos was able to like drive stuff like the shield and then drive stuff, you know, even in back when they were doing nip tuck, but like, and then also into even like the Americans where you knew that like things were going to get dark and and people were not going to be good guy, bad guy. It was everybody's kind of a bad guy. And they had a little bit more niche audiences, but they still For had sure. shows that sort of still broke through uh, with like Sons of Anarchy. Justified was Sons a really Anarchy, big yeah, one. Justified. I remember too. Yep, when that yep, was yep. wrapping up, that was kind of a big deal. Uh, the Mayans on, on just riffing on that one. Yeah. So they, I, I agree with you totally that FX is kind of is the kind of sibling of HBO as far as quality television. They just have a bit different programming model, which is yeah. about the only difference. But they still put out great stuff. AMC for a while was, but they haven't been able to kind of replicate that from their early, the early part of the decade with like Mad Men and Breaking Bad and uh, Got Soul, uh, uh, Better Get Soul. It, it feels like they got caught in the Walking Dead, and then yeah. that was it. Like. It, it somehow they became the walking dead and then they were like oh instead of just continuing to do different things we're just gonna go all in on and this then, yeah so then it was like fear I, of the walking dead and it was like i, had I don't two know break, they had two spinoffs that yeah and then but that's all it was it was almost just in the rotation of okay you have the original then you have spinoff one spinoff two and then it comes back around to the originals coming back up so yeah, because they actually, from what I understand, I was just, I somehow was going across, maybe I was checking out their app or something, but and reading something, they actually still have other shows on that are supposedly well-regarded. Just, they have a show called Preacher, which is based off of a comic book, but is supposed to be really yeah, good. Yeah, Preacher's pretty good. And then there's a few mm. other ones that I'm not as super familiar with, but either way, I just think that 
I agree what you're saying though with the HBO strategy. Find do different genres, try out different things, but also in you know, but back the the talent behind them uh, and build relationships so you can trust that they're going to be able to execute on whatever their vision that they're pitching you as well. So I think that's the smart thing rather than just throwing a whole bunch of money at common IP uh, and yeah. you know stuff that's already kind of been treaded over before. So. We'll see. I mean, this is going to get the here. The other thing too is think about how much money they're going to want to spend just to advertise though Lord of the Rings in addition to all the money they've spent so far. Because if you've already spent all this money, you're going to want to spend another two hundred million dollars advertising to make sure people tune in because you got to get your money's worth. But now you're getting close to a billion dollars all in for one season. A billion dollars for an a, a property that everybody knows how it ends. I know. Like I know. It's. I, yeah, so uh, I'm. I, this is a really like to me is a very head scratching move to be like, man, for a tenth of that price, you could have gotten. You could have done like 10 any great number shows. of other like great fantasy properties. Yeah. And you're it, banking on a you're banking on a name. It feels like it's kind of like a in a sporting terms, like the owner coming in and starting to make player personnel moves or decisions. And it feels like maybe this is a move. I from what I read was Jeff Bezos wanted a Game of Thrones, and so he was personally involved in negotiating and getting this going. So that's what this feels like. This is coming down from on high, and everybody else is just doing whatever they can to make his wishes come true. Did he just Jerry? jones amazon pretty much is this what's happening i think he jerry jones amazon prime video sorry last thing (laughs) all right tony so let's move on here now and let's get into our main event and we're having a little bit of a fun discussion here today uh we're going to be talking about movie titles and just all kind of different parts about that so uh, this kind of came up because a while ago, Tony talked about a certain movie that he absolutely loved, but absolutely, I don't know if hate's a strong word, but disliked the title of the movie. Uh, oh my gosh, yes. So, Baby Driver is what you're talking about. Baby Driver is probably one of the best movies of the last like five years or so. Amazing movie. Almost like watching a music video the entire time. Great story. It's basically about this getaway driver that has uh, tinnitus. So he has a ringing in his ear and he constantly needs to play music while he's doing everything. Jamie Foxx does a great job in it. John Hamm does a great job in it. Kevin Spacey, problematic, but does a great job in it as well. And they named it Baby Driver. And I think that sort of killed any momentum that this movie had. You're coming in the year of Boss Baby, and then you had Baby Driver, and it just... I I think what I had said to John is, like, I think it killed $200 million in box office just by naming that. Because when I talk to people about the movie, people are like, oh, I, I kind of skipped that. I thought that was a kid's film. Really? And, yeah. Oh wow. A lot of people thought this was like a a kids thing. Like, uh, what was the one about the snail that went fast? Like turbo? lightning turbo. Yeah, it's like it, people thought it was like a turbo. So they oh they thought it was like babies ra- racing race cars kind of thing. Yeah, because it's not like any of those like movies like that get a lot of like 
advertising play. It's not going to be well. Well, also, I think you ha- I have to say why is it called Baby Driver? It's because the main character's name is Baby, yes, or at least his nickname. No, they say his name is actually Baby. I think they named him right. after they some call him uh, Baby musician. because he he got into the uh, getaway car industry when he was very very young. So they just call him Baby. Yeah. So they, and they make a whole thing about it. Baby, baby, baby. Yeah. That's that's like right. the running joke in this. Show. I the movie to me, I I have I, I thought it was good. I, I'm not as a I'm not as uh emphatic about it as you are, and as I most people that I know have seen it think it's an amazing, amazing movie, and I think it's really well done, but Am I gonna have to quit John the, Ham? Am I gonna have to quit the podcast right now? <laughs> <laughs> We'll leave that. We got to at least have our car chase discussion and then we can, then you can decide if you're going to leave the, the podcast or not. Cause this will definitely be involved in that discussion of car chases. So uh, yes, it will. It definitely will. So, you know, if anything, it should have just been called driver. Then it would have been fine. I Dude. Think. And the problem is that would have competed with the Ryan Gosling, right? Movie that, that was, was called drive drive. I thought there was one called Driver, but it doesn't matter. There was a video yes. game called Driver, which I think they were trying to make into a movie, but I don't think they ever did. Okay. So, yes, calling it Driver would not have been the best, but you could have come up with a better name. And I will say, when you proposed this to me, I did some research, and I was like, uh, where I came down was, do not name your movie after a character in your movie. Unless, this is my caveat, unless the character is either iconic and people know it ahead of time, or the character has a kitschy name. Because there are movies like John Carter, where I'm like, the fuck is that movie about? I don't know. <laughs> There's I remember movies that. Like, I like, am I supposed to know what this is? Like, And talk about the more generic names of just John and Carter just mashed together. I mean, that is right. my name, but I'm like... Why would that mean anything to anybody? That is not a unique name. It's a common name. It's a very well-known name. But right, <laughs> who the fuck cares? It's John Carter. Especially, Great. Especially is he an it's assassin? Like two two first names that you know. That's always problematic yeah. as well. Geely. What the <laughs> Geely? You know what? Geely. If that is not about an Italian model, I don't know what the movie is about. Like terrible. Now, if you do have a movie that you have a name that's kitschy or is already well known, that's amazing. Joe Dirt. Great name. Great title for a movie. I know who Joe Dirt is as soon as you say Joe Dirt. Inspector Gadget. Great name. I know who Inspector Gadget is. Titanic. I... (laughs) I know who Titanic is. I know how that's going down. Well, then let's get into a little bit more digression about like how important do you think a movie title is for a film? 100% important. Okay, why? Because it's the first thing that you kind of hear or see about a movie, right? Is the title, is that like the first thing, right? Yeah. And to me, I think it's like one of those things where the title is what actually brings you into the movie. So it's when you're talking to a friend and they're like, hey, I heard about who framed Roger Rabbit. And you're like, oh, that sounds interesting. Like, what's that about? And it's like, I don't know. It's like a cartoon rabbit. And it's like, 
okay, that sounds like I'm I'm in. You know what's interesting and, about that too, though, is kind of riffs off of what you were just saying. If they just called it Roger Rabbit, it's a lot more boring and generic and there's not much you don't you're still like okay roger rabbit who's roger rabbit you're like it's a cartoon rabbit and he lives in a real world okay but but so what but when you say who framed roger rabbit now there's a context to it and then that context of a cartoon character living in the real world now all of a sudden you're like a little bit more intrigued because you got there's there's something else there that's like okay but what, what does that mean then then obviously something happened where he got framed for some sort of crime of some sort so then right. what's going on in the real world that it's cartoon characters in there and why is he being framed and what did he get framed for like there's a whole lot of questions that come out of it good question oh 100 it's a, it is the who what when where and why it's like what who would frame this person they're obviously innocent because you're framing them and it's a so cartoon who framed character them? Why would you frame them? When is this happening? Like, it, it, it answers so many questions. Willy Wonka. Okay, fine name. You're like, it's a little kitschy. Willy Wonka sounds like kind of a, a nutty guy. Maybe he, he goes around. Maybe it's like a patch Adams of his time or whatever. But like, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, okay. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, better than Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, named after the book, because Willy Wonka is like, there's someone really weird, and he owns a chocolate factory. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory means maybe this guy hates his life, and he needs to, like, get out of it, or, like, shoot himself. Like, I don't know. But, like, Willy Wonka is like, this guy's into chocolate. And he has a whole factory of it. And he has a whole factory. You need someone to tell you about the movie that you're going to see. Now, I'm gonna, here's some of the worst movie names that I could remember. So I'm gonna, if you don't, if you know the movie, tell me. But if you don't, I want you to just tell me what you think this movie is about. Okay. All right. First one, Focus. Is he a photographer? You are absolutely wrong. It is Will Smith and Margot Robbie in a con movie. Yes. And con artists always need to stay focused. And it's like, why you name it focus? Like, you're doing an entire disservice to what your movie is trying to do. Like, you have two beautiful people doing a con movie. It's everything you want in a con movie. And you name it some sort of weird photography thing? Get out of here. Okay. Aloha. Well, it has to do with something in Hawaii. That's that's all I got for you. They're they're in Hawaii doing something. Yeah. It's Bradley Cooper as a war hero going back to Hawaii and dealing with his past. <laughs> like, what are we talking about? Okay. This one is just terrible because it's so wordy and so much more information than you need. Greystroke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> well, it kind of says it all there, but like I guess it's I guess it's fine, but like But then but then Why wait, I don't need to know his name and that it's Tarzan. <laughs> I was just going to say why it's like call Tarzan then or Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, and the least Tar- I get. Tarzan, Lord of the Apes would be a perfectly acceptable title <laughs> for anything. 
fine. So they put the name of the character plus then a right. two qualifiers within after that <laughs> of another exactly. name that he's known actually by. <laughs> and why, like, why? You never, 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 never in a movie need to put a semicolon so that you can lay out the descriptors afterwards. <laughs> it just never is never a good idea. But that seems like somebody came from like the book publishing world and got a new job at it the really marketing does. job in a, in a, at a production company somehow, and they're like, yes. "No, well, we always do the secondary title, you know, the the subtitle. That's that's right. what we do. It's that's called- how you tell them." <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Um, and then the other one that always got me was the Bill Cosby movie Leonard Part Six, which I was just like. It was a purposefully confusing title. That reminds me of um, Fletch. Dude, Fletch is a terrible name because not only does it it not mean anything as just like Fletch in general, like there's no word to it that you can be like, oh, Fletch. But like, it, it just naming it after character is bad. And I love the Fletch movies. I love the Fletch books. I've read almost all of them. And they're wonderful and silly comic mysteries. Fletch and Fletch Lives are just terrible. Like, even Rambo wasn't called Rambo until the second movie. It was yeah, First Blood was the first movie. Yeah. And then it was Rambo Part 2. You know what I mean? Like, once you establish the character, great. Name it after him. Right. Everybody knew who Rambo was when you call him in the second movie. But yes, First Blood, that, and that's one of those quirky movie trivia that you can always throw out there that a lot of people will get wrong. They'll just think, yeah. oh, the first one's Rambo. No, it's First Blood. So here, here's Dude. one. Here, I, I, That reminds okay. me of one. I'm just curious. This isn't necessarily... This is, I just want to know what your feeling is on this title, You'll know what it is. Uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. What is your thought on that kind of title? Because it, I okay, it plays a lot. It kind of plays a little bit of both ways. I feel like with what you're kind of laying out here. So I was curious of where this one lands for you. To me, I that one is always just a little silly to me because there's a certain thing that you can't have long movie title names because nobody remembers them. I I honestly could not remember that. And I was trying to think of it to put down as one of the bad movie titles because I was like, Robert Ford, Jesse James, something, something, coward. Like, I, I couldn't remember it. And if you can't remember it, it's a bad title. Well, it's interesting because, like, obviously, if you just called it Jesse James, it's just like, Okay, right. but like, what about Jesse James? Are we talking about here? Him robbing the banks, him growing up, him getting killed? Like, where are we at? But the assassination of Jesse James, you're like, okay, I got some context now. We're talking maybe like later in life, like something happened to him. I didn't even know he was assassinated. So there's right. that. So now, okay, I'm a little intrigued. I think by the coward Robert Ford does add a little extra to it because the coward part does that. That's 
that's the interesting sure. part of it because all of a sudden you're like, okay, they are taking a very specific, they're a very specific um, direction with this movie by calling it the coward Robert Ford. So they're obviously calling out something again that I'm not familiar with of this story or anything, but they are laying down where they fall on this line. And you're then going to see how are they going to, you know, kind of write backwards into that. But you could also have called it like the coward's assassination of Jesse James. Oh, you could even just call it the assassination of Jesse James. It just adds a little extra. I think it's still not necessary for this title though, to still be interested and get the, it. The, it honestly did not change the movie. Like you saying by the coward, Robert Ford doesn't change the, the actual plot of the movie because it's still by that same guy. Um, well, the weird thing to me about that title is the fact that they named the coward, like the coward, Robert Ford, right. like, I understand that that's going to be your main character and you're going to have to pay him a certain amount of deference and fine, but you don't have to name him. You can just say, you could say the coward's assassination of Jesse James. And that would be a very interesting title that would do the same thing as throwing all the extra words in there. Or you could say, a coward's assassination of Jesse James. Because the thing is, though, that movie with it being Brad Pitt and Jesse James, you would think it's going to be about him, but then you end up watching the movie and actually he's not in it that much. So that may be part of why they had to, they felt they needed to remarket it as making sure you know who the protagonist was actually going to be because there'd be a lot of bait and switch feeling if that was the case, if that was not. But like to call it Robert, like to me, like it's like, all right, it's the fine. I, I know, I know. Ford we, is, it kills me. In I know, I know. I, I find it interesting, but yeah, it could. I think on most marquees, and that's probably the best bellwether of like, do you have too long of a title? Would they actually put it up on a marquee of a theater? Are they actually going to write out the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford? No, they're going to say the assassination of Jesse James. That's what's going to be on the marquee. That's how yeah. they're going to read it, especially like the old style ones with the sliding letters that go over it. If it can't fit on that, your title is too long, uh, especially Greystroke and something, something and the Tarzan of the King of the Apes or something. Greystoke, that- the legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. Yeah, I forgot the whole legend of part. Anyway, OK. God damn right. So, yes, those are some pretty bad titles that uh, do just either aren't descriptive enough or are overly descriptive of what their films are. Yeah. Now, it it probably does not sound like it from how I talk, but I do do research for this podcast. Um, There were a couple ones that were I had read on lists that were considered universally bad. Like these came up on multiple lists as bad titles and I 100% disagree with them. Okay. I think these are great titles. Sure. Go ahead. Okay. So the first one, I'll do three just so that we don't get bogged down in this. The first one is To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. I actually think that is a great title for a movie. What are your thoughts? I feel like we were just discussing with the coward robert ford i feel like the julie whatever part of it to wong fu to me is also that's an interesting title already but i guess it might not be clear enough and nobody might know what the movie is about or have the wrong connotations of what kind of movie it is but then when you have that extra thank you part in there 
it lightens it up a bit and makes it a little bit more relatable in some fashion in way people, you know, interpret these kind of things. That is my read on it. Okay. Although Tu Wong Fu can be interesting to me. That sounds like an interesting title to begin with. And then if you had the context of then like the visuals to it in a trailer or something, then I don't know if you need that extra part, but just hearing Tu Wong Fu might lead you to kind of stereotype what kind of movie it is. Right. You may feel like it's some sort of like Like martial arts movie or something like exploitation movie or whatever. I, I actually really like this title because to me that title is really catchy. And for some reason that sticks in my brain. Like Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julian Newmar. Like it feels like I for some reason that just sticks and I, I always like that one, but that was universally regarded as everything that you're saying. It's too long. It doesn't quite give you context. And then the context that it does give you is a little muddled. Yeah. Like like so Julie Newmar, if you know, is sort of like a 50s actress-y, like, you know, black and white era okay. actress. Is this not, you know, like it, it, it does get into a place where I understand why people didn't like it, but I actually really love that title. So what's okay. the next one? Second one we're going to do, which is my favorite on this list. Santa with Muscles. Uh, never heard of that one. Never. I've never even knew that title existed. So that sounds like that's a bargain bin at Walmart kind of title right there. Hulk Hogan as an asshole, like millionaire gets amnesia and then thinks that he is Santa Claus. (laughs) So he starts like acting like Santa Claus, but I actually like that because to me, there's a lot of questions that I ask when I hear that title. It's just like, what, is Santa going to fight people? Is Santa going to like... I don't, inherently, one that doesn't... I don't inherently think that's a bad title. And also... I, okay. Also, the type of movie that it is, like that, that is what you get for those type of movies, though. So there's... Yeah. That, that matches the content, like what the story is. So that, to me, is not a bad title because... If you're looking for that, it kind of fits. Or like you said, you're just intrigued, but what does that mean? And then you might go look, see what exactly is Santa with muscles? Is he is he a wrestler? Is he a is he a bodybuilder or something? Right. Or is he on vacation and, and beating people up? Is this his day is like his night job or something? Is this what he moonlights as? Is like a bouncer? Hundred percent. Okay. Like I, that to me is it tells me what type of movie I'm getting into. I'm not it is not going to be beaches. It is not going to be... This is not Saving know, Private Ryan here. <laughs> it is not Saving Private Ryan. It is Santa with muscles. Like, I know I can put the Kleenexes away yeah. unless I'm really into muscles. But, like, I can just put them away and, like, it's going to yeah. be a fun romp. What's the okay, next one? And then my, my last one is... Universe, like, this was in several lists as the top 10. One of the top 10 worst movie titles ever and i think it's fucking brilliant okay the movie title is mother may i sleep with danger i've heard of this title before i don't know what the movie is but it's probably some sort of thriller i think you know exactly what the movie is uh some sort of thriller yep it's a thriller uh probably from late 80s early 90s yeah 100 percent 
you know, some woman kind of meets some suave guy she doesn't know very well and kind of gets swept up, but then finds out as a, some sort of dark past. Or and she has an unhealthy relationship with her mother. Yeah. yeah. And then is probably always, but a bit, but is single and is probably the mother's always trying to get her, you know, settle down or something or doesn't or questions all the guys she's with, something like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Something that's another. I, I think it's a great title. I, I know what movie I, that I'm one, I, I Again, I, I agree with you. That is not a bad title. It tells you a lot. It get, you get the feel for where we're going, you know, especially when these type of, you know, stretch of titles come out with a certain trend. You know what you're getting into. So I don't think that's a bad title. So do you think generic type titles are bad? Like if... Uh, let me try to think of one here. Um, the wire, like for the HBO show, do you think that's inherently not a great title or do you think that's actually a fantastic title because of the way, what the show is? I, (sighs) or something like, yeah, here's another one. The master. I, okay. So the wire I think is actually a good title because it, there's, there's a certain amount of, of, there's a certain amount of danger that's inherent in the title without saying it. Yeah. Like, because when you think about a wire, you're thinking about, if you say the wire, you're talking about like the, it feels like you're talking about like a trip wire or you're talking about like a thin thing between two pieces. So that doesn't, while it doesn't tell me a whole lot, well, I think it also relates to the wire of wiretapping. Yeah, the wiretapping. I mean, yeah, for sure. That's like what the show is about. I was trying to like think of how you could like misinterpret it. You know what I mean? So what about like the social network? Well, the social network, I, I feel is fine because like, like we're in such of like. It's yeah. the social network and you're talking. Yeah. But like the master, I don't think is a great title. I and I, I, I like. Paul Thomas Anderson movies for the most part like well but Boogie Nights well, I mean talk about a fantastic title though Boogie Nights is a wonderful title Magnolia not a great title yeah that really doesn't tell you anything and uh, it, it, it's hard for me because I love almost almost every single one of his movies like with a big passion like he's oh, one yeah. of my favorite direct writer directors um Hard Eight Hard Eight great title I think that was a great title for for the movie is what do you think about inherent vice what do you think about that title i in at first it sounds like a great title but then but then i do remember going like well what does this mean though like i literally had nothing idea what it was and then when he actually watched the movie i'm still like what does this all mean oh it's one of it's one of his rare misses so thomas pinchon is one of my favorite authors um the crying of lot 49 is is one of my favorite books, as well as Vineland, is my favorite novel by Thomas Pinchon. Um, his things, his titles are just weird. Okay, so that's based off of something already. That's so based that's, off a okay. novel. All right. So his his main novel is Gravity's Rainbow, is the one that like put him on the map. And that's about the way that rockets, like the trajectory of rockets. Okay. Is Gravity's Rainbow. All right. And well, then that's another whole thing, too, is when you're doing an adapted. He had to call it Inherent Vice. I love that as as two words together. Yes. Because I think that speaks to a lot of stuff. Like, 
like the inherent terribleness that like kind of goes on within people. Yeah. I didn't like the movie and I didn't like the book. Like I, I read the book first and then I watched the movie comically. I watched the movie on a plane. Uh, side note, slight spoiler. There is a long scene where a woman is topless and walking towards Joaquin Phoenix. And we just stay basically on our boobs and I'm watching it on a plane in the middle seat between two people. And it really just looked like I was watching porn for like four minutes as she gives this monologue to Joaquin Phoenix while everything is just focused on her boobs. So that's the thing. So so the lesson out of that is do not watch Inherent Vice on the Don't plane in the middle seat. But I love the title. Inherent yes. Vice, I, I think, is a is a really cool title. So, so this leads me to what I was curious is how do you title your scripts? Like, what is your process? Do you kind of just come up with like a working title that sort of fits the general idea or do you come up with the title from the beginning or do you wait till the end and, and come up after you kind of written everything and see if something comes out of it? Um, like what is your kind of process for it? Uh, I think my, my process is generally, I feel like a title somehow finds the piece in the middle and i know that sounds stupid and artsy but like there was a uh, a script that i had passed to you um that i think it was uh, when i passed it to you it was called lovers liars and cheats mm-hmm. it had started its life as being country line and then it was like country boys and then it became lovers liars and cheats and i thought that lovers liars and cheats was such a better title for something because it made you feel like you were getting into essentially a drama about a big, big web of melodrama yeah you're right about you know people who were like in love and not being honest and it just felt yeah no, mark movie ish and then so that like title changed a couple times. So do you, when you going through that process, like on that example, do you change it then on the script and like from going forward? So like you start off with the one and then you, you know, country line and then you change it to something else. And then do you rename the whole project that way? Or will you just kind of stick it on the title page and just see how it feels, but still call it like country line? Oh, no, no, no. I always like, whatever I name it first off, I always keep it as that name. I, I think that's like almost a, probably a terrible like superstition thing but like yeah as soon as i name something so you called it you originally called a country line and then you move you by like two or three times later you called it liars lovers liars cheats did you lovers liars and cheats do you Um, rename did you still call a country line as far as like your file names and your projects and all that all of my file names actually i called it country boys first then i changed it to country line so all of my files are named country boys Okay, that's fine too. The original one. So Country Boys yeah. original. So even yeah, when you yeah, change yeah. the Lover, Liars, and Cheats, you still call it a Country Boys as far as your the way you organize your project and you see it. It's still called Country right. Boys. As like a- so that they're all lined up so I can see them, how they, they work. But yeah. And then somewhere in the middle, it became Lovers, Liars, and Cheats. And 
Yeah, that's so on the title page though. Each time you produce like a new draft, it says liar, "Lovers, Liars, and Cheats," but the file name, right? Will the still file say name is country is "Country Boys." boys and like you that's know. interesting, and I I should probably do that because I've done where I've changed everything going forward, and then I guess it's the CL feels, and it, then it does. It just kind of messes with everything because then uh, also yeah, I'm a completionist, yeah. so then I'm going back. I'm like, well, I have to change like the name of the folder, and then I have to change. Yeah, so I it's good to hear just some other perspectives on that. So that's a good way to do it because I have sometimes some movie, some stories I write like the title is great and then I'm good with it, or at least I haven't had anything new hit me that changes it. Or the one I just recently showed you, I've been through like four different titles and I'm trying to like just and I kind of see well, how does this one feel? Is it, and I'll do yeah. a couple like iterations and with that one title and see if it feels closer to it and. The worst is when it's not clicking yet, though. You know, when you're you're still working through it, you're like, all right, well, this is good enough. And usually that's what a title is until the very end when you can hopefully pull something out of the story that makes sense to kind of what we're talking about of encapsulizes sort of at least like the tone and the vibe of the story, but maybe also can give a hint as a little bit of context somehow without giving away too much or sounding, you know, kitschy or, or boring. So there's a lot that goes into it. Oh, 100%. And I, you know, I like, this is really stupid, but I like naming things. And it actually is one of those things that my wife and I do a lot. Like, we rename things a lot. So, like, where we live, in Burbank, you have Olive Park. That's on Olive and, you know, what is it? It's like Olive and where Alameda and Olive meet. Yeah. I think sometimes, like... I'll think of a title first and then things kind of like come along. I was curious about that. Do you ever create a story based off of a title? Like, did you ever just see some sort of title pop in your head or you see something around that makes you think of a title, kind of like how people come up with band names. Do you ever have that kind of epiphany? And then you go, that's an awesome title. And I feel like there's a nugget of a story in that title. Have you ever done that? Uh, I mean, there's been a couple of times that I've, I, I won't say that I've written an entire script like that, but I will say that um, there's been a couple times that I've gone as far as like outlining a whole story. Like, oh god, okay. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lay this one out there, and well, um, this feels like this could be good. You're a little hesitant, so I, I I always well, it's just it was such a it's such a bad idea, but it was really funny at the time. So I had a title poltergeists and um i was thinking of i never i never heard that title before uh, but i was thinking of it spelling pole as in pole like pole dancers and it was about a haunted strip club (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) look that that would get people's attention i'm telling you that's that's and it was about a couple of guys who bought a strip club and didn't realize that all the employees were ghosts. So it was literally like like a TNA comedy of like the Sixth Sense meets like Porkies. Like it was such a like stupid idea, but I was like this is so f- that like the I- title alone was so funny that I couldn't stop from like just being like, okay, well, what would they happen? And okay, so what happens when they find out that they're ghosts? Hey, man, that sounds like a Seth Rogen and gang crew 
movie written all over it right there. That's like a it Judd really Apatow does. movie, I feel like. Because it could be like the heart of gold stripper kind of story, though, as well. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't, this is just like. Well, that was the whole end of the story. Is like they had to help them pass on. Cause, and they knew they would lose their business. That's not stupid, man. But they like There's had to help them like go to heaven. And then heaven was just a bigger strip club. <laughs> like it's one of those things where it's like i was like the idea kind of like writes itself and i i love the idea of it i thought it was really silly and really funny and like but i I didn't do anything more than just like put it into the outline phase of being like i thought this was like a fun thing but the idea of just like pull your guys I think that is uh, fantastic. So I think you, that sounds like something that is completely up your alley that you would have a lot of fun with. Yeah. So I don't know. I, mean, I, I think you should reconsider. Actually, that's the one that like pops into the top of my head. That's great. I, I have never actually gone through and done like an outline, but over the past few years, I started hearing certain th- words and titles and names of things. And I'm like, wow, that's an amazing name. That sounds like an awesome title. And I don't know where, what I would do with that, but I feel like I could, if I really wanted to, I could sit down and do it. And one of the things I've learned that I find interesting to get really interesting names from is computer viruses. For some reason, okay, in the world of computer viruses, not always, not all of them. A lot of them are weird, just you know, computer generic terms that are just have a number on them or something. But there is some really good ones that come out of like some bad viruses or bugs or worms that get created out there. And I'll list off a few that I have kind of in my bucket of that I would love to make a movie out of or write a story okay. from because I just think they sound cool. So the very first one, I think that I this happened a few years ago. There is a big uh, worm or a bug or something that I think was in the architecture of all CPU processors. So it was called Heartbleed. And it was oh, something that's that, cool. Yeah. And so it was like some really catastrophic bug that was in the architecture of like Intel processors and AMD processors that affected all computers. And they had to write all these patches and it was a whole thing. Like Apple PCs, Windows servers all had a problem. But the term Heartbleed, I was like, wow, what that's an epic, one. what an epic virus bug whatever it was but like what an epic name to title to like something that was really bad and like the heart of your computer is your cpu and like but heartbleed i don't know i just felt like there's something there i mean obviously you could say this is like a band title too which is i'm sure many of these things could be too but i don't know i just feel like if i really dug down i could really start pulling strings off of that one and really make a some kind of like thriller or um some sort of like really melodramatic movie out of that, like Heartbleed, just feels like a couple drama, something, something's in yeah. there. I don't know. I no, just really I like that. that. I like that a lot. Uh, a couple of other ones. This one's not super original. I just still thought it was really cool. There was one called Spectre, uh, but obviously that was yeah. also a James Bond movie. It's their the group, so it's not a super original, but that was cool. Uh, Meltdown. Uh, that was another virus that I feel like. Obviously, it sounds generic now saying it, but when you get it in the context of what it was, I feel like you get the same thing if you really contextualize it around a specific thing, like an event. That's not a nuclear holocaust. That could be kind of cool. Uh, Stormworm. Uh, mm-hmm. New War, uh, sorry, New Wall, War, uh, N-U-W-A-R. Uh, mm-hmm. 
Another one is Greybird, I thought was cool. And the other big one that was happened recently that I is, is where I started getting this idea was um, from virus names. Uh, it was called WannaCry. It was another virus that was WannaCry. Yeah, like W W A N N A C R Y. So those were just some of these ones. I you know Heartbleed and WannaCry were some of the big ones I remember, and I was just like, that sounds so cool. I could do something with that. Uh, I think it's cool. It's like part of that is just like. Just listen around the world and read stuff. There's inspiration everywhere for titles, I feel like. And I think it's a good practice to write. I started writing them down now. And I have a list of other titles that I don't really want to give away. But I have been starting to keep a database of ideas for things. Sometimes they're generic. But the uh, genericness of the idea kind of presents itself right there in the title. But then I've already started pontificating some ideas that could come out of that that actually maybe would make it interesting. So uh, the generic title thing is always interesting because it kind of states exactly what it is, but sometimes then it's so generic, it's like, but what do I care about that? So generic titles are always uh, difficult to play with. You have to be very specific in what you're going for, I think, if you want to use a generic title. Yeah, and it's funny that you bring up band names because the thing with band names is I feel like there's less expectation on band names. Cause, and this may be just my opinion, but I think all band names are terrible until the band is actually good. Like, R.E.M. isn't a great band name, but the band is really good. Or Modest Mouse. So I actually do keep a list of band names that I would do. And here's a couple that I think are funny. Um, Unreasonable Noise is a fun one. Um, The Xenophobic Contingent of Kevins. Excited Delirium. And Permanently Incorrigible. Well, you know what's funny about this is that I think everybody does that where everybody's like, you see some weird combination of names and out of context, you're like, that's so weird, but sounds strangely like engaging to the ears for some reason. And you don't, you can't yeah. quite pin it. And that's where I think the band names, cause you can band names can be out of context. There is, it doesn't have to really be any reason to their name outside of they sound cool. And that's why everybody does that exercise. Oh, that'd be a cool band name. The other thing yeah. I thought is a lot of these band name things. I feel like you could do the same thing for comedy routines where you could name your comedy routines, these random names. Like what was the oh, last 100%. one? Incorrigible. What was that last one? Uh, permanently incorrigible. Right, like that to me sounds like a perfect name for a comedy routine, like a stand-up yeah. routine. No, like, that does that. That probably would be a good like, like first hour-long set for somebody. Yeah, because like, you know when they, you have these big stand-up specials for big uh, comedians on, say, like HBO, and they do them on Netflix. Like yeah. that would could be could totally uh, the title of somebody stand-up. Uh, you know, be what it is, and like. I can see you doing something out of like perfectly incorrigible, uh, permanently, permanently incorrigible. incorrigible where like, cause they, by you, the way, you, that was a, that's a legal term that they used to apply to kids to be able to put them uh, away forever. Well, then that could be something, but that's where like, if it's a comedy routine, it's like your weird machinations that are coming out of your head that you want to talk about that would make people sort of sound crazy, but you're doing your routine. So like you're hanging the hat on that. So that's why I feel like that's like, I just feel like band names could easily yeah. be used as comedy routine names as well, especially if you then I, somewhat vaguely to form your theme of your show around that. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, I think something like permanently incorrigible does feel like something where it's got a little old timey and a little highfalutin to it. Mm-hmm. Like 
that honestly would be something that I would name my type of comedy special because I'm a little bit heady and esoteric in a, in a lot of ways and then also like a little old timey. Yeah. So I think Permanently Incorrigible would be a good title. So I'm taking it off my band name list and putting it on my list for specials. Nice. Is now Permanently Incorrigible and holy shit <laughs> where, where I talk about my life and religion <laughs> <laughs> alright well two, there you go so you got, you got two routines now that you can work on because you got two, two titles hours. ready to go so they're, they're, you're on the right path here so I, uh, I just to wrap this up I don't know if you have any so I was just going to name a few of my favorite movie titles um, and show titles um, so the, no real particular order. So just a few, I do love the social network. I think it's such a great title for that yeah, type of movie because it's one. like about Facebook. And so it's the social network, that kind of thing. But then the genericness, you could have called it Facebook or the, you know, the boardroom right. battle or something like that, or, you know, but social network it's generic yet also is very specific. Uh, so I enjoy that one. Um, yeah. I my probably really is the favorite title is Doctor Strange Love and How I Stopped Wearing and Learned to Love the Bomb. I yeah, that's I, a good one. It's one of those ones where we talk that goes against the grain of what we we're talking about of like the long title, but it and you don't need the 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 qualifier part of it, the the below the fold title, but Doctor Strange Love it's in itself Doctor Strange Love in and of itself is fantastic. That's that's a wonderful title for anything. Like that's the kitschiness of like having a character name. Doctor Strange Love makes you want to. Why? While it may not tell you exactly what that movie is about or what that novel or whatever the story that you're telling is about, that is so good because it's so off beat and weird you're kind of just curious about what it is and then it really doesn't yeah. have a whole lot to do with what the story is but there's the character and yeah so i i don't know i i, I mean it's also one of my again i think it's sometimes hard to separate your love of a movie and then also the title i think you then start wrapping up a lot of it into it um the curious case of benjamin button was another one that i enjoyed oh i actually hate that title I don't know. I, 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 you could, I can definitely see why you could hate that title, but I, I don't mind it. It, it kind of gives a little I, bit I, of hinting. No, a hundred percent. It has the title of the character I know is in it, but it doesn't just say Benjamin Button because then you'd be like, what yes, is that? exactly. And no, it's good. Um, it, it, it's good in that regard. Two of the other good ones, two of the other ones are, and these are probably universally loved are there will be blood. There will be blood is good. Uh, and then the other one, which is, it's just fantastic and is iconic is back to the future. Back to the future is probably one of the best names. Um, Star Wars also is another one. Jaws is another, like, like those eighties blockbusters had something very special about their naming that very much cut to the heart of everything. Yeah. Fight Club is one of my favorite that's titles. I, I think that's just like, I like the simple, like hard hitting is great. There's this one I like. It It is going to be a movie. It is not a movie as of this recording. 
Um, the Feral Detective is another one. It's a Jonathan Latham novel, it, which is going to be adapted into a movie. Uh, another one that I always love that I think kind of gets overlooked is Limitless. I thought was a, a great title. Yeah, it leads a on a little bit about maybe what's... You don't know, again, it's not it's not telling you what the movie's necessarily about, but it gives a hint of the idea of what is Limitless. And then right. it does, that and is part of the theme, though, of like your abilities and what are you accessing. So, again, it's not direct of telling you what it is, but, you know... Yeah. It's no snakes on a plane, but <laughs> I mean, and again, I think snakes on a plane is a great title. It is, like, no, it actually is absolutely you, a fantastic title. You're a hundred percent like into it. Well, um, that's the other part of it. Like it's also knowing what your movie is too, your story, yes, because yes, yes, snakes yes. on a plane, it's not supposed to be serious. So then you're just going to call it on what it is because it's so ridiculous of a premise. That's just like, well, let's just hang a lantern right on it and be up front. And you know exactly what you're getting into. And it, it, it was great. Um, I'll say, uh, and come as no surprise. And I'll, in my favorite list here. And I think one of the best show names was mad men. I, and I feel like you probably don't agree, and that's fine. Uh, it's pretty. You no, know, I think I think Mad Men is actually a great title because it plays on the Ad Man, yes, like thing, and then you know has all the. I I I like Mad Men as a title. I think that's I think that's good. I mean, I, alliteration I is like always the show, good. but yeah, you what what? We'll go into that sometime. <laughs> I th- I thought it 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 started good. I think it it little, you know, whatever. Oh, I are, am I gonna have to quit the show, Tony? I think I think we're. Uh, is, <laughs> is this, this how we amicably part ways? <laughs> I'm not a big dri- baby driver fan. You're not a big man man fan. We're like, oh, we we didn't really know each other oh, as shit. well as we thought of. How, how, did, well, how did this happen? Yeah. So all right. Well. Those are some of our favorite uh, TV and movie titles. Uh, so, Tony, yeah. um, I don't have anything else to add to our title discussion here. Did you have any last uh, last bits that you wanted to add, or did we cover everything? I mean, I think we're good. I there's a couple novels that I I honestly think are are really well named. Um, there's a a short history of a small place, which is T.R. Pearson novel, which is. I think is great and Zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance. I always has loved as a title. I just think that's such a like just a concept of that. It's like Zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance. See, I feel like I'm gonna get. We could go around down a really big rabbit hole now because now the more think titles you say, it gets me thinking about other titles that I remember that are cool, like a history of violence. Sounds like such oh, a, history of violence is a really good title, right? Because like, it tells you so much, but so little at the same time, and you're yeah. just like, oh well, okay, and you you get, you know that there's going to be a big backstory of like some crazy yeah. shit, and yeah, no, that was a good one. I I do like that title a lot. So, all right, well, I we could probably really just keep going on. Yeah, and well, thinking. we can. You know what we can do? We can call out to anybody who's paying attention to the show. Yeah, send us your favorite titles. Absolutely. Hit us up on the uh, Twitters. On the Twitters. The at ETI, ETI oh, okay. Podcast. Yeah, on the socials, on the social network, right? On oh. the social networks. Uh, check the show notes. All of it is in there. 
Yes, yes. Always in the show notes. So, all right, Tony. So that I think that'll do it for our main event. So uh, yeah, did right. you have anything else you wanted to spotlight? Yeah, um, I actually will do a spotlight. Uh, a buddy of mine wrote a pilot called Loveless. And uh, I was involved in the table read for it. And he has just posted. So I did the table read. And then I, um, this was during the pandemic. So we did a Zoom table read for this pilot Loveless. And then it took me a little bit to kind of get together how to make this entertaining in a way so that people would watch it. Right. Oh, I remember so you talking about this. I actually um, talked to a couple of friends who were doing other, you know, pandemic productions and uh, came up with a way to do it where you're actually watching the actors um with like just a flat scene behind them and it ended up looking really cool. So if you go to his YouTube is stand up for your power, the number four, your power. Um, it is on there. It's called the original pilot loveless table read. And you helped cut that together, right? Yeah. I, I put it all together and I am in it and that can be in the show notes as well. We'll put it in there. All right. Like to that, but um, it's a fun pilot. It's um, it's about um, people dealing with sex, sex addiction through the scope of 12-step programs and how different people have to find their own journeys through that. So it's very cool. The the hoodster pulling double duty here on this table read as, a, as an actor and editor. So well done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, never, never a dull moment for you, man. Never, never not busy. So, right. And then I just want to sit down and watch TV. (laughs) I think that's maybe why you don't get that feeling because you're always so busy that you don't even have the feeling of like, oh, I should be busy. (laughs) No, I just constantly have that feeling. It was like, should I be doing more? Should I be doing more? All right. Um, so for my spotlight, I'm going to continue on with the, uh, culinary, uh, side of things. So last time I recommended uh, how to stay hydrated with a hydro flask. This episode, I am uh, recommending a spotlighting one of my favorite new snacks. It's called Harvest Snaps. I'm showing this to Tony right now. Oh, I love that stuff. These things are, well, they're made of different things, but they're snack crisps, but they're the one, the best one, the original is like green peas, but then they're also made out of uh, black beans and uh, green peas. What else we got here? We gave those to Lily. Does Sterling dig on those, or is he he a little? Uh, yeah, no, he likes these. But but the thing is, though, is that these are Emily and I's favorite snacks, so we don't really want to share. So <laughs> no, seriously, we can finish a bag of these in one sitting. Like it's no problem. Yeah. It's they're they're made of nothing they there's nothing in them as far as like nutritionally for you better good and but yet they are very satisfying and taste delicious they come in they come in like six eight different varieties lightly salted white cheddar southwestern barbecue caesar parmesan roasted salted is the best oh yeah that's the bag i'm holding right here here this is the bag it's so good Sometimes when I have my California medicine, 
I can polish off a bag of that. Oh, and like no problem. No time at all. Absolutely. And that's the one thing sometimes I complain about. I'm like the one design flaw of the bag is that it doesn't have a Ziploc on it. But then Emily and I were talking, we're like, I think that's intentional because they know that you're just going to finish it once you open it. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, we're not even going to waste the engineering uh, work on putting a Ziploc on our bag because you're not even going to close the bag back up. You're just going to finish it and throw it out. As soon as you open it up, it's done. So anyway, that's my spotlight of the week. So you can stay hydrated with your Hydro Flask while snacking on some Harvest Snaps uh, snack crisps. Yeah, grab some Harvest Snacks and then watch Loveless, the pilot, and then you're good to go. Absolutely. Fantastic snack for watching Loveless. There you go. go. That is is a night on the town from us. Wonderful. (laughs) All right, Tony, uh, where can people reach you at? Uh, You can hit me on all the socials at Ant. Anthony Hudax. That's on Insta and Twitter and Facebook, and that's about it. I don't TikTok. Not yet. Not yet. I probably will never. All right. Well, I, uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Jay Stravs, and you can reach us both on Twitter for at ETI Podcast. And if there's nothing else, Tony, I'll catch you next time. Catch you next week or two weeks or whenever we do this. Uh, <laughs> just fading off into the. I'm fading off. All right, okay. later, man. <laughs>
All right.